This is the Future of HR Podcast, Episode 60. Today is a very special episode of the Future of HR Podcast, and because of that, we're going to be mixing things up this week. But before I get into how we're mixing things up, I want to tell you why this is such a special episode. Just over a year ago, I launched the Future of HR podcast and shared my mission to help inspire the next generation of HR leaders one conversation at a time. So what has happened since I published my first episode a year ago? Well, I have produced, recorded, and published an episode every week. I've interviewed over 60 HR leaders and experts in our field, and in having these conversations, I've built new relationships and strengthened existing ones. The podcast has grown significantly, and thanks to you, the podcast now has over 80,000 downloads in the past 12 months. And most importantly, I've heard from many of you that these conversations and the Future of HR podcast is making a difference in your development, and it's one of your favorite HR podcasts. This means a lot to me, and I love hearing these stories. Please keep them coming. I also want to thank you personally, whether you are a new listener or someone who has been listening since the beginning. Thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing the podcast with your teams, your peers, and your network on LinkedIn. Thank you for posting your amazing reviews on Spotify and Apple. Thank you for tuning in each week and trusting me to bring you leaders and topics that matter to our field. I'm also incredibly grateful to all the amazing guests who've come on the podcast to share their career journey, insights, and perspectives on the future of HR each of us and the field is better off due to your contributions. And in honor of my one-year anniversary of the Future of HR podcast, I got a request from two friends and past guests, Mel Steinbach, Chief People Officer at Masterclass, and Justin Hirsch, CEO and HR Executive Search Lead at JobPlex, a DHR company. And what was that special request that Mel and Justin had for me? They wanted to interview me. They felt that after a year, it was time that I was the guest and not the host. They wanted to hear more about what I've learned from doing the podcast for a year. They wanted to hear about my career, my career advice. They wanted to hear my takeaways after 60 interviews. And they wanted me to answer my signature question. What is one word or phrase that will define the future of HR in the next five to 10 years? We had a lot of fun in this episode, and I am thankful to Mel and Justin for their friendship and making this a reality. And by the way, I highly recommend you check out episode 44, which features Mel's thoughts on building people capability, and episode 17 with Justin, where he goes deep on executive recruiting. Well, with that, I'm happy to make their request a reality, and let's get to this week's episode. Justin, Mel, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm great. Actually, welcome you to the Future of HR podcast guest. What do you mean, Mel? Justin, do you want to tell all of the the audience what we're doing today? We are thrilled to be co-hosting JP as our guest on a very special episode of this podcast. JP, we're excited. We've got some fun ahead of us and a lot of great questions to explore with you. Well, I love that we're flipping the script and thank you both for uh, doing this because I know it is different to be on this side of the microphone and answering questions. So I'm ready. I'm prepared. So I'll let you guys take it away. Fantastic. Well, we're just so grateful that you have been doing this for the past year and wanted to really celebrate the first anniversary of the Future of HR podcast. 
So we'll start with the way that you start so many of your amazing episodes, which is thinking back over your career, what roles really best prepared you for the reality, not the pipe dream, but the reality of being a CHRO? That is a great question, Mel. I'm not sure there's any roles that actually prepare you for being the reality of a chief people officer because there's a lot that comes at you. But there are three roles that come to mind when I thought about this question a little bit. And for me, early in career, I was a human capital consultant, organizational change and strategy consultant. And when you are a consultant, you are really thinking about and learning how to diagnose, frame, and solve business or people problems. And so that skill set of just quickly understanding like what is really going on here, how do we frame the issue, and then what kind of solutions would make sense was a great training ground. The second for me was becoming a vice president of talent and really having that functional responsibility, but also going deep on talent acquisition, executive assessment, executive recruiting, getting exposure to the board and the CEO and other senior executives and starting to understand how the game was played at that level and how great CHROs had influence and what that could look like. But for me also, I think really going deep on executive assessment meant a lot to me. I think I really honed my talent radar, if you will, around what I think great leadership looks like. And then the third role, which was the most close to being a CHRO, was being the SVP of HR for the Brinks company and, and really being the head of HR for the U.S. business. About $800 million business, uh, 7,000 employees, most of those on the front lines and hourly. And when I stepped in from a, from a center of excellence to a generalist, it was a big wake-up call. Because now you're dealing with 401k, benefits, employee relations, compensation. And I learned a lot in those three years. And I think learning how to influence executives in more business conversations, because let's be honest, they're always aligned with what we think should happen from a people perspective. And so those three roles, I think, really got me ready to be where I'm at today as a chief people officer for Williams Marston. Really great experience. I love that. And nice of you to reflect on your own personal journey as well. So looking at then a few important lessons you've learned over your career, what would you want to share with the next generations of HR leaders? Yeah, and I should have a great answer here because I ask this question all the time. And it's something I'm really passionate about because I wouldn't have started the podcast if I not really think about how people can have great careers and, and what that looks like for what I call next generation HR leaders. So to me, there's three things that matter. The first is differentiation matters. Second is experience matters. And third, relationships matter. And let's talk about differentiation for a second. What I would encourage people who are younger in their career, earlier in their career, is thinking about like, how do you stand out? What are what I call balloon skills that are going to carry you to new heights? What are those skills you have today that are going to really continue to help you grow and flourish and they're your strengths, but they're more than strengths because you have to also look, where's the puck going in terms of what trends are happening? How are things going to be changing? And of course, the big hot topic is AI. So, hey, are you understand what AI is about and where that's going? The other thing you have to think about is what are your anchor skills? Things that are holding you back or mindsets that are holding you back. And But again, the differentiation is the piece. Like, How are you going to differentiate yourself and have a career where you stand out? Because the more differentiated you are, the more that what you do, your talent is scarce, your skills are scarce, you're going to have a great career. You're going to be high demand. But if you're doing what everyone else can do, 
you're going to be competing with a lot more people. And frankly, that's not as fun. So I think differentiation is a really big area to think about. And that does come down to experiences. And so experiences matter a lot. And when I think about that is, there's a favorite story that Jim Shantley tells. And he talks about two golfers. And so you've got one golfer that for the last 15 years has golfed on the same golf course every Saturday, like clockwork. Another golfer for 15 years has gone to a different golf course every Saturday for 15 years. I know those two golfers are going to play on a new course. And the question is, who's going to win? Who would you bet is going to win that golf game? And most people say, it's probably the golfer that's tried different courses. And the reason isn't because maybe they're a better golfer, but they've seen more you know, different courses. They've had to have different environments to play in. And so when you think about 70% of our development comes from experiences, we really downplay this. And so you've got to start thinking about what experiences am I getting in my current job? What really matters to get that next job? Uh, and how do you invest in that? So I think deeply about the experiences you're getting. Be thoughtful. I'm also going to say that, and I think I would give myself a little more advice on this when I was younger, truthfully, the most underrated career opportunity that we all have is your current job. The role you're in today is a huge opportunity. There are so many things you can do to add more impact in that current role, expand your scope, have more value, learn that people, a lot of times we always look for what's grass is greener and we don't do enough of that. So experiences are really, really important. And then last, relationships matter so much. And Justin and I have known each other for 10 plus years. We've become good friends. Mel, we're new friends. But the reality is building relationships and authentic relationships is so critical to your career. It's a very small world. And people will hopefully help you later in your career. That's only if you're a positive networker. So you've got to be a positive networker. And that's not something that just takes. Like, I don't want a phone call when now you lost your job, but you didn't call me for four years before. That's not a positive networker. Or if you always just have a request, a positive network is introducing people to other people, sending articles, just checking in, right? Being thoughtful. But if you make that a habit and you start to build those relationships, the world's your oyster and you're going to have great relationships and a great career and people are going to want to help you see you succeed. Oh my gosh, JP, there are like so many mic drop moments <laughs> in that for me. I just have to say this, the idea of like really being open to different experiences that are going to really help you create differentiation. Everyone should apply that regardless of where you are in your career, right? To me, that is the thing that gives you career longevity as well. So I love that you said that. And of course, the three of us are all like obsessed with networking. And I, when people tell me I don't have time for networking, I'm like, that's like telling me you don't have time for breathing, you know, or like checking your email. Like you got to make it part of your day. Well, and JP, I like your comment on the positive so networking and, and the do it, doing it with intentionality to help others first. A lot of people really think networking is just about making connections, but it's really not. And you've done a really great job of developing these wonderfully warm and authentic cultivated relationships. So there's no surprise why you've been also able to, to attract and, and host so many wonderful guests throughout the podcast. It's a testament to you are a positive networker. And thank you again for sharing these lessons learned. We always say experience remains the best teacher, no doubt. Where I'm personally really curious, and Mel and I talked about this behind the scenes, you've got this wonderful Future of HR podcast. 
Can you tell us an inside story of why you actually started the podcast? What made you decide to do this? That's a great question, Justin. I like how you tell you the true story, the inside story, because I think that's important. So a lot of us, for many of us in HR, we always want to give back. And probably one of the best things we do is developing talent, right? Helping to inspire and develop people. It's just, it, there's nothing more rewarding in our careers. And the challenge with this, it's very hard to scale. And so you have to have a team. And if you don't have a big team, you know, how are you going to be developing people? You could do some mentoring. But I've always wanted to be able to do it. And I thought, well, how do you scale this? Because Jim Shanley, I'll mention him again, was someone who I looked up to. And Jim has launched, you know, 50 plus careers in his time because he had a really big team and he's been a mentor to so many. And so I thought, gosh, I would love to be Jim Shanley, but I, I can't be Jim Shanley. There's only one of him. And so I thought about this idea of scaling. And in 2022, my wife and I started listening to podcasts. We're very late to the game. I'm going to acknowledge that the podcast had been around for a long time. We started getting into podcasts and I started listening to some podcasts in HR and I thought, huh, it just hit me. I have so many good relationships and this would be a way to give back and scale. Like what if we could bring the best HR leaders, have these conversations and then next generation HR leaders could use it. And they're really breadcrumbs to what is great HR. And it became like, let's just do it. And so that's a great idea. And we all have good ideas every day, but you execute it. And so the difference here was that like all of us who have great ideas that we don't do something with, I decided to research and buy a microphone, which sounds ridiculous. So I bought like a $300 microphone and I set this up. My wife said, hey, what is this charge on the credit card? And Amazon's delivering this microphone. And I said, I'm going to launch a podcast. And she's like, you're what? And I said, I bought the microphone to make sure I do this. I'm not going to not do this. And so that was sort of it. And I own the future of HR.com. I'd owned that website for a while, like probably like the last 10 years. I don't know how long I've owned it. And so I just said, let's do this. And I started to research and, and did it. And some friends like Ken Keener and Holly Tyson and Mark Efron and Molly Nogler were some of the first guests. And the rest is history. I, I love that so much. Microphone as accountability partner. They do say, like, once you make the investment, right, Justin? I, I was going to say, too. And that's the first time I've heard of the website, too. So when's the swag store appear, JP? Soon, soon. Yeah, that's, that's phase two. <laughs> we all we all want to be sponsored by futureofhr.com. So, OK, so now you've done it. The microphone has been put to good use. You have been doing this for a year. As we mentioned, we're doing this as your uh, year anniversary. Uh, so as you reflect on this past year, these, you know, 50 plus podcasts, what are some of the key learnings that you'd share with us from the podcast journey so far? Yeah, this question I think a lot about actually, because it's, it's a lot of work to put the podcast on. Let's be honest, right? This isn't something that just happens. And I actually do all the work myself which is a little bit, I'm thinking about how maybe to outsource it, but I, I don't know if I'm sure I can. And I guess when I step back, the four, there's four really big learnings that I would share. One is that you learn so much more by doing than reading, researching, planning, procrastinating. And that's what I love about this creator economy that's sort of happening. A lot of creators are like, look, post, put it out there, do something, right? This is like go to the gym versus reading about the workouts I should do. It's like, no, I went to the gym, even if it was for 20 minutes. And so for me, it was just like doing this. I did research a heck of a lot, let's be honest, but just putting it out in the world 
was the first thing, like just to see. You don't know, it's a test. I mean, it could have totally failed and no one wanted it. It would have, would have gone away, I guess, right? But it didn't. The second is consistency. The commitment to myself to post a podcast and produce a podcast for 52 weeks was again to make sure I did it and didn't stop. Because podcasting is a long game and I wanted to see if I could do it. And so I built some systems. There's similarities. I don't have to think every week. There's a, I've kind of flow through how I do it. I'm not changing it because honestly, that would require more effort and I don't have a lot more effort to give to it and it's working. But that will remind you now, like when I first did it, the first podcast for the first month, 684 downloads for that month. We can get that and we'll do that more in a day now than we did the first month. So consistency over time, you think about your career, putting the reps in, it starts to build, right? I think being clear in your why and start with the end in mind is important. For me, it was about wanting to give back. And once I started getting emails and seeing the response, it, I feel like I sort of can't stop. I've got to keep going because people really are listening to the podcast and excited about it. And the last is really like what you both of you, you've proven that people are in your corner. Like when you go out and put yourself out there and produce something people think is valuable, more people are willing to help you than you think. And that could be when a career change or having an accountability partner or like you both wanting to come to me and be co-host this podcast, interview me. So all those things I've learned um, have blown my mind and it's definitely exceeded my expectations. And I'm very thankful for everyone who listens and has written me and supported the podcast over the last year, especially all the guests. I'm really inspired by the the whole giving back because I think you're right, right? So many of us love like seeing people grow. That's why we do so much of what we do. And you really wanting to amplify that through the podcast. I'm really inspired by it. And I know someone I mentored has been on the podcast as well, Josh Seacrest, who is just an absolute star. And I think like having those, and I know that you and Holly worked together before, like having some of those, that continuity is just, it's so now so evident to me that that's really a, a key purpose of the podcast. I'm really honored to have been part of it in year one. Yeah, JP, the discipline you've had too to do this week to week to week to week, even in the weeks that you've been busy and you've been traveling and you've had other competing agenda items to attend to, it just shows a lot about your commitment uh, to the process. And and really the theme that I'm hearing is helping and serving others, which just says so much about you. I appreciate that. Thank you guys both. It's been a lot of fun, and we've had some amazing guests. Amita uh, Malik was on just recently, actually this last week. It was an amazing guest that Mel made an introduction for me. So I think it just grows, and there's so many people who really do want to give back and be part of something like this. That's why it's been successful. It's not me. I might be the vehicle. I might put the work in, but it's really about everyone else and their passion. Yeah, well, that's very humble of you, but... It is true that you have had incredible guests. Like I have been um, really impressed by how many HR thought leaders and just the wide variety of CHROs that you've had on the podcast, different people representing like new trends, like kind of tried and true practices, new technologies and older ways of of doing things. It's really been a really fascinating variety. As you think about the trends that that you've heard over the past year, can you summarize 
for all of us who maybe haven't listened to all 52 episodes, JP, not naming any names, but can you summarize the trends that you have seen in the podcast? And are there any that have like have been surprising to you? Yeah, it's a great question, Mel. And there are three trends I'm going to call insights that have really stuck with me. And let's see if they're surprising or not. The first is HR has arrived. And really since the pandemic, the expectations for HR has increased tenfold. I think in most organizations, in many organizations, we finally have a seat at the table. And maybe that phrase can go away because maybe we are the table. And we are like the backbone of a lot of companies and people really, especially leaders, expected a lot of us. And we were, I won't go down the list, but because a lot of guests have said this, we are the chief wellness officer, we are the chief purpose officer, we are the chief everything officer because they expected us to not only create a high-performing culture, and, but help shape the business strategy, really promote wellness and mental health, leverage data analytics, prepare for AI. I mean, if we think about finance or marketing or supply chain or operations, their jobs stay kind of the same. Like no one's asking finance to produce a different financial report because COVID hit or because we have an aging workforce. So I think, honestly, we've arrived. And HR leaders, pat yourself on the back. It's time to stop having an inferiority complex and really embrace the fact that we are at the table, we have a critical role, and honestly, one of the hardest jobs on the C-suite, bar none. It's my perspective. The second one is technology isn't at the heart of HR. There's a lot of talk about tech, AI, talent marketplaces, skills, and I get it. It's all shiny and it's new and there are bells and whistles, but that's not what HR is all about, right? And when the best HR leaders have come on the podcast, they're not talking about the technology they're implementing. They're really talking about the impact they're having on productivity, on shaping the organizational strategy, the culture, the org design, improving the employee experience. And I think the trend is one that employee experience is not going to go away. So the technology enables the employee experience. The employee experience is here to stay so that we can have a great business experience and the business can win. And so that's really important. I think we should focus on AI, but it's a tool like any other tool we've had in the past. And so we've got to figure out how to make that work. And the third one that really stuck with me, I call it Execution Plus. So it's a little play on Apple Plus and Disney Plus and all the pluses we have in our life. But every CHRO that came on, you included Mel, talked about executing the basics flawlessly. Like we have to continue to pay people on time, have a great workplace, do a lot of things that are basics, but it's the plus where we have the impact. And it's the paradox of not either or, but and, and making sure that we are not only creating a great workplace and doing the basics, but then driving innovation, growth, right? Everything I just talked about. So you have to do both, which also, again, I think elevates what we are expecting us to do. And maybe the expectations are too high because I'm not sure we're superhuman. But that is what the function is looking at. And I think the best CHROs and leaders we talked to this last year thought about it in that way. It was really execution plus. Such great commentary, JP. And I especially like the plus. I haven't heard that before. But the question really is, what is the plus? So I like how you frame that. And as we were talking about the podcast and the audience, what's been really Wonderful to hear is how the C-suite listens and tunes in and embraces lots of the content in the future of HR podcast. 
So can we talk about the future of HR for CEOs from a CEO's respective lens? What advice would you give them based upon what you've learned over the past year? Well, I'll give advice for a CEO, but I will preface that by saying most senior leaders tolerate the opinion of others and then act on decisions they come to themselves, right? We are always influencing. But my advice to a CEO is bring your CHRO in early and often, right? We need to be brought in the business decisions before they're being done. We can add value. We can have that context. We're going to have a different perspective, frankly, that is always going to be missing. And so they should be asking their CHROs, what do you think the reaction is going to be from this perspective? What should we do differently? Because we have good business instincts. They don't always listen to us, but we have good business instincts. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in that role. I think it's also important that they really think about that HR as a distinct discipline. We have toolkits, frameworks, knowledge we're bringing to the table. And it may not be a balance sheet that is very simple to read and looks the same at every company. And maybe we need to do a better job of really standardizing how we go to market to our leaders. But the reality is it's a distinct discipline that really has that seat at the table. And I sometimes hear at smaller companies, people don't appreciate that. They're like, well, I know how to hire people. I've hired people my whole career, right? Um, yeah, you have. But you may have some blind spots you're not thinking about. And the last, I think, is just giving our chief people officers and CHROs, the credit that they deserve. They have more capability than we typically think about. I would expand if they're doing great, if they're execution and plus, then give them other functions. And, and some of the best, Lisa Buckingham, Ola Snow, a few of the CHROs have been on here have other things that they had on their uh, remit. And they did great because they're great business leaders. So I think we need, need to see more of that. And we've also seen some CHROs who've moved into CEO. You know, there's a very, very rare but the reality is we've got a lot of capability. And so I just remind the CEOs that we can do a lot, not just smiles and files and hiring and firing. Yeah, I like that. That resonates with me so deeply, JP. I think it's something that I always tell, you know, peers when they're looking at, at new jobs or considering other opportunities like the company may be cool, but it's so important that that CEO really believe in the full capability of what what HR and the the HR team could can contribute to the overall business strategy. That's like the thing that so many people are like, company's cool. I'm like, the company might be cool, but if HR isn't important there, you're going to be upset. JP, one of the many things your podcast is known for is your signature closing question. And both Mel and I are thrilled after a year and 50 plus podcasts, you've gotten 50 plus words to answer this question. So here goes, JP, your turn. What is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? Pressure right now to come up with a word that is different after 52 plus amazing guests. And honestly, it's pretty simple. It's AI. But not the AI you think about. Authentic influence. I believe HR is coming to its own. I believe more and more CEOs, leaders are going to appreciate authentic value or function, our authentic passion for leading the business, for learning the business, our passion for the employee experience, our passion for creating a high-performance culture that's diverse, inclusive, and fosters a belonging. 
authentic in our passion for developing people's careers. And being authentic means embracing what makes HR unique from all other functions. And if we do this, we'll have authentic influence, influence in how we shape the company's strategy, influence the challenge and status quo, and influence to make the impact that only HR can make. Just Okay, so I know I talked about a mic drop moment before, but holy smokes. Yeah. JP, that was, that you was have like given us a whole new frame. I mean, seriously, what? That is incredible. And I, I just have to say on behalf of our function, thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing this, for allowing us all to learn as you learn. I believe so strongly that our role as leaders is knowledge transfer, and you are doing that for, for all of us in this incredibly authentic way. And so if you are going to judge yourself by your own measuring stick that you just created, Authentic Influence, well, my friend, I think you are absolutely acing the assignment. So thank you so much for letting Justin and me interview you. You are a gem and I can't wait to see what year two brings. Pleasure was truly ours and congratulations. Cheers to the next 50 and onwards. Well done. Thank you both. It means so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Michael Watkins, leadership transition expert and best-selling author of The First 90 Days, and also a pioneer in proven strategies to help professionals navigate both personal changes and organizational changes as well. This was a great conversation with one of the best minds in leadership, and I promise you will not want to miss this one. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.